All right, welcome to the State of the Lakers on Dash Radio. Thank you guys so much for coming to hang out on a Tuesday. We finally have uh, not just a convincing Laker win, but a convincing Laker win against a good team. The Celtics are coming off a stretch where they've just won three out of four games. They were competitive on the road in Utah. They beat the living crap out of the Blazers the other night. Um, this is a this is a decent basketball team that came to town, and we just looked way better than them. Um, why? Because we are way better than them. And obviously, we've been off to a, a very frustrating start to the season. Um, I thought LeBron set the tone from the start tonight, which is something I've been begging for him to do all season. And I thought everyone else followed. And that's kind of one of the big formulas for success tonight. There's a lot of other details we're going to get into. But before we get too far into it, Raj, how are you, my guy? Are you feeling as good as I am right now? Man, that has to be game of the year, win of the year. Uh, that was fun. It was it was. It was great to finally get a fun game, right? And we had three days off in between. It was nice for us as well to get a break uh, from Lakers basketball. The Lakers looked like they needed it. Um, LeBron especially came out uh, with more energy than I've seen from him. And he just set the tone, like you said, and this game was just – it felt – it wasn't wire to wire, but the Celtics never, to me, felt like they were going to win tonight, which which is really just a stark – uh, contrast from what we've been seeing uh, from all these games. And that second half, they took over. I don't think the final score really indicates um, how big a game this was for them. Just a fun game, man. Finally, uh, Laker fans and all of us kind of get a good game to to enjoy. Like, it was it was nice to have one of these for a change. Yeah, you know, LeBron really set the tone from the beginning of this game. And it reminded me of a dynamic that used to happen back with the 2020 Lakers the year they won the title, where you would see Anthony Davis kind of sleepwalk his way through the beginning of a game. Uh, But LeBron would kind of carry him over that stretch. And one of the things that told me a lot about who Anthony Davis is as a competitor is he would inevitably in the second half of those games really turn it up, come out like gangbusters and put his physical imprint on both ends of the floor. And when he did, the team was borderline unbeatable, especially with LeBron already in a rhythm like he was at the beginning of the game. And that's one of the big reasons why I've been so critical of LeBron this season. Um, I've probably been more critical of him than uh, any other Lakers player and more so than most Laker fans have been. Um, But it's just because I hold him to such a high standard and I know what he's capable of. And, you know, yes, he took a lot of jump shots early in the game, but they were, they were high quality jump shots. They were in rhythm. The ones that were contested were closer to the rim. If you look at his shot chart, these weren't step back threes from 23, 24 feet. These were interior jump shots closer to the basket where he has shown a propensity in his career to be a high percentage jump shooter. There's lots of good process from him. And then he was also putting his head down and getting to the rim a lot more than we've seen him try to do this season. Um, And it was inevitable to me that eventually Anthony Davis and Russ would find a time in the game where they would put their imprint And AD kind of started end of the second quarter and continued for most of the second half. And then Russ was just unbelievable at the end of that third quarter, just putting his head down and getting to the rim. Again, something we've talked about a lot, Russ kind of slowly breaking through that, that wall, constantly putting physical pressure at the point of attack on guys. And they might hold up for a quarter. Some nights they'll hold up for two quarters, but eventually he just wears on people to the point where he starts to get that rim pressure. And from there, it's about kicking out the shooters. And I, I have to look at the numbers because I, but it, from the eye test, it seems that like we didn't shoot amazingly well tonight. So there's a, even another level we can get to, but we were living in the paint. It was, it was much more, cl- it was much closer to our identity. Uh, Frank Vogel's lineups made a lot more sense. We'll get more into that later, but they, they made a lot more basketball sense with what this team is good at. But at the beginning, it was all about LeBron doing what I expect him to do every night, which is come out and set the tone and be a leader. You know, the, be the guy that the other guys will inevitably get swept up in everything that you bring to the table. And that's where this team is going to be capable of beating quality teams, which is the next step in them, you know, progressing this season. But did you did you see what I was talking about there? Just LeBron kind of setting the tone and uh, and uh, the rest of the guys following. Yeah, he not only set the tone offensively, but I thought defensively as well. Right. And uh, the starting lineup. You know, it's still kind of frustrating at times uh, when we got the news that, you know, Dwight Howard was being taken out. We were going to have 80 at the five, but it was Taylor and Avery Bradley. So your spacing was still going to be bad. But the floor balance is better. And with LeBron and 80 as your back line, that's still a super 
great catalyst for a great defense, right? When you have both of them engaged, and I thought you saw that all night. Tatum had 16 points, I think, right away um, in the first quarter with like five minutes gone or something. He already had 16, but I thought they didn't overreact to that. But LeBron and AD were engaged. LeBron on that back line was engaged almost every single play, taking out, uh, putting out orders of where to switch and telling people where to go. We need that every single night, like you talked about. And this is game 12 of the big three. I, I believe I have my numbers right. I think they were six and five. Uh, before tonight with LeBron and tonight uh, it puts them I believe to seven and five and this is kind of the way that the ceiling of this team is going to work to me I feel like Russ has pushed his weight like I'm looking at Russ the last the last six games all um pretty much all over 20 points other than the Clipper game four of those games are uh of at least nine assists two of them are with 11 assists another 11 assists tonight uh game from him tonight we got to pick his spots because LeBron was able to take over in that first quarter was was taking jump shots, but I thought they were good jumpers. I thought they were in rhythm. I thought they were aggressive. AD in that third quarter, going to the basket, I thought he was really settling in that first half. Only four shots for AD to me. It's just not enough. But put, pulling this back with LeBron, him and AD started get to going, started getting it going, and Russ was able to pick his spots. Russ got really going in that third quarter, and I thought that's what the ceiling of this team is, uh, where you have Bron and AD going, and then it's just Russ. At, Russ has like a volcano earthquake coming at you where it, where you have to try to stop him while LeBron and AD are going. And I thought that's what we saw tonight. This was the best game the big three have played on both ends of the floor. You saw Russ take the Jason Tatum matchup, and I thought that got him engaged defensively as well. Um, I thought Talon would be the guy on Tatum, but Russ looked like he wanted that matchup, and I thought you know he did he did the best that he could, but he was engaged, he fought, and that really all started from LeBron in that first quarter. It kind of led to both of them get going, and this is how you have to win. Uh, the three stars all played well. And when they do, I feel like we're going to beat teams like this. Yeah. One of the things I've been harping on all season is the Lakers leaning into what they're good at. Uh, It's been very frustrating to me to see Frank Vogel kind of cater his philosophy, both with the rotation and with the scheme more toward like his personal basketball philosophies, rather than what his personnel is good at, what the team's, you know, basketball character is made of. And, you know, we've seen a lot over the course of the last few weeks, not just with Frank, but with LeBron and AD, this this idea that they didn't really understand what they were good at. Both LeBron and AD were leaning way too heavily into their off-the-dribble jump shooting game, which, while it's something that has helped make both of them versatile in their careers, it's not been their bread and butter. Their bread and butter in their career has been physical, uh, you know, uh, leaving a physical imprint on the game, uh, generating a ton of rim pressure and all the good stuff that comes from that. And then with Frank, it's, you know, I I was blown away by how poorly we defended with the starting lineup against the Clippers. But a lot of that has to do with, you know, Frank not seeing the forest for the trees, leaning way too heavily into size and, and defensive personnel and not understanding that if you run crappy offense all the time and you're constantly missing contested late clock jump shots that your defense is never set that your guys are always jogging back in transition and your defense isn't going to look good anyway it was it was a whole lot of uh, of 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 guys up and down the the organization that needed to wake up and understand what they needed to do for this team to succeed frank from the beginning of the game you know the everything made way more sense like you don't need to play lebron at center that can be a matchup thing but you have dwight howard dwight howard's a really good backup center He's the perfect guy to bring in when Anthony Davis goes to the bench. That makes way more sense than starting huge with AD and Dwight and Russ and then going super tiny with LeBron at center at the start of the second quarter. None of that ever made any sense. And so this was a way more functional rotation. Like you said, I wouldn't go with Avery Bradley. I'd go with more shooting in the starting lineup. But those are nitpicky things. The things that we can go at the guys for tonight – or nitpicky things. All these things in the previous weeks that we've been pointing out, these have been glaring, obvious basketball malpractice that had to be pointed out. These weren't Monday morning quarterbacking from our couches when we have no idea what we're talking about. This was every basketball mind in the world was looking at this like, what in the world were you guys doing? Your two best players are leaning into the weakest part of their offensive skill and the coach is playing personnel that actively sabotages the team. We were, we, uh, we were all in the right to be upset about what we were seeing. And it was such a breath of fresh air to see that tonight go the opposite direction. Everyone kind of leaning into their strengths. I tweeted out at the end of the first quarter that I thought a run was coming. And the reason why, it was kind of ironic. I, I went into the Clippers game feeling good about what was going to happen. And then as soon as the game started, I immediately 
was shaking my head nonstop on the couch, incredibly frustrated. <laughs> tonight was kind of the opposite. I came into tonight's game having no idea what to think. Like, is tonight the night that the Lakers just kind of roll over and quit? Or is tonight the night that they wake up? You know, like I didn't know, but almost immediately when I saw how engaged LeBron was and I knew Anthony Davis was going to follow him eventually. And I knew like always Russ, it's been become a theme for him in third quarters. That's kind of when he starts to break through that physical wall and start to impose his will. I knew those, I knew those things were coming. Our defense was dialed in and engaged. You could tell, even though Tatum made some shots earlier, Tatum's incredible. Don't get me wrong, but you could tell that both Russ and THT were, were being disruptive with their, with their length and athleticism. You could see the good process. You knew the run was coming. That's why I felt good throughout most of this game. This was a breath of fresh air, Raj. I, I got to say, man, like Absolutely. this was, I could, the Clippers game was a low point for me as a fan of this team with how frustrated I was. And tonight was as encouraged as I've been. And, and it's always been in there. They just needed to play into their strengths. Yeah. We look like a functional basketball team. Like we look like a basketball team that made sense. And I was thinking about that, that other starting lineup with like two centers and all that. That starting lineup is like a broken clock, right? It's right twice a day. Like sometimes those, you know, jumpers go in, but it's ugly basketball. It's not conductive. It's not good process. I thought tonight was good process. Even with Avery Bradley starting, you can kind of see the reins of, of what we're going to be, right? And I was thinking like maybe Trevor Reason is in that spot. I see why Talon is in there and Talon's defense. We'll get in, into that later, but I thought he was, I thought he was pretty good. Like I, you, you throw him on Jason Tatum, you throw him on Paul George the last game. I thought he did his job. For the, for the most part, we helped a little bit too much. But this is kind of what the team needs to be going forward. And I think we have some winnable games winnable games coming up here um, after the Boston one from tonight. But, yeah, man, the big three played well. Um, AD was aggressive in that third. I thought AD's defense as well. He was, he was getting killed at halftime by the TNT guys and everybody. But I thought his defense in that second half was great. He was shutting everything off. And this is kind of what I would like the lineups to be. Um, Malik Monk, Wayne Ellington. I thought we, we saw more good process with them as well. We saw LeBron ball, right? They had Peyton Pritchard try, try to hide on Wayne Ellington, and he came and set a bunch of, like, ghost screens. That was just good offense. Russ as well with driving lanes, right? We saw Russ with driving lanes, and he had, like, a hammer dunk on somebody. I don't remember who it was, um, but he got a big-time hammer dunk, and you saw him uh, kind of being excited. And this is this is the way to play, man. This is how we have to be going forward. I hope that Avery Bradley's not the one starting every night. But if that's what it's going to be, that's at least we have the good process of AD starting at center, LeBron at the power forward, and those two engaged defensively can can have a good defensive team. Boston's a solid team. I think they're they have a good record in the last 15 games or something. They've picked it up since their slow start, even without Jalen Brown. They're just they're a solid team with good NBA players. Um, and I thought tonight was a really big win, big biggest win of the year to me. Uh, and again, just good process stuff that we saw um, all night. Yeah. And even at the end of the game, you know, in the fourth quarter, when the Celtics were, uh, you know, attempting at least to try to make a run, you saw uh, uh, LeBron's process better. You know, he wasn't he wasn't just navigating switches and uh, and jacking up stupid threes. He was, you know, uh, working the ball around trying to when he would get the switch on Peyton Pritchard, he would, you know, try to back him down almost like a, a three point line post up. And there was a play where got in the lane and kicked out to Carmelo Anthony. It was nice. It was like a lot of the, a lot, uh, that was another one of those things that's been kind of irritating through this season, you know, poor, poor, poor manage lead management is what I would call it. Poor lead mm-hmm. management. That was an issue all season long. And, and, and that wasn't an issue tonight. Our process remained good. I, again, like you, you, every, every issue that I have tonight was nitpicky. Like, it does it blow my mind that Frank Vogel, thinks it's a good idea to chase Dennis Schroeder over the top of screens. Yes. That blows my freaking mind. Like that just, that continues to hammer home my philosophy that Frank is obsessed with his own basketball philosophies rather than actually catering to what his guys are good at. But like, that's a nitpicky thing. Like the, the flip side is I'm sure Frank, the way Frank sees it, like if we press up on Dennis and chase him over the top of screens, we'll make him feel uncomfortable over the course of the game. And maybe that will, you know, manifest in the long run. And, but, yeah, but again, these are all nitpicky things. I thought we fouled too much. You know, oh, we, yeah. we got, we got way too reach in happy underneath the basket after we get beat instead of just walling up and making guys make shots over the top of us. But again, just all nitpicky. I, I want to stay mostly positive tonight. I thought THT, uh, we can kind of move on to him here. Well, but again, before, you, uh, before you move, before you move on to uh, THT really quickly, um, LeBron's had 30 in the last in four of the last five games that he's played. 
um, which it doesn't feel that way just because he's been on and off so much. But it's kind of crazy to think about it. Even with him, you know, load managing through games, I think it was Tony um, who covers the Utah Jazz. Uh, Tony Jones, um, who covers the Utah Jazz, said uh, LeBron has had 30 in four of the last four games. Four of the last five games. It just doesn't feel that way, but just wanted to end with that. LeBron is still putting up, you know, LeBron numbers. It's just we he's held to a higher standard, which makes sense. It's LeBron. But, yeah, go ahead on uh, THD. I just want to throw that in there because it just doesn't feel that way. It hasn't felt like LeBron's had 30 in the last uh, four of the last five he's played, but I guess that's what it is. Well, really quickly on LeBron, like – this is this is something that's frustrating to me, just as someone who's watched him through his whole career. He's so good. This is the Anthony Davis thing too. Sure. LeBron and AD, uh, half the time you 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 you're you're like, yeah, they didn't really play all that great. And then you look at the box score and it's like, damn, twenty seven, right. eight and seven. Or Anthony Davis, it's textbook. It's the wait, Anthony Davis had thirty two and fourteen, and I thought he was bad. Like that's that's just kind of the nature of, of the way those two guys are because they're so talented. But the point is, is like. We do know that there's a difference between a really impactful 30 sure. points and uh, 30 points. You know what I mean? Like LeBron's, thir- LeBron's 30 points in the game against Sacramento in the triple overtime game. You're like, yeah, like really bad shot selection, really bad game management. You probably were one of the main reasons why they lost that game. That's not the same as tonight where from the opening tip, you were setting a tone. All of your baskets carried a great deal of impact on the game. And as a result, it gave time for, for AD and Russ to find their groove in the second half to help you get that massively. Like to me, that's different. But again, that's just, that to me is the difference. Like the difference between the guy who averages 25 and the guy who's one of a super duper star is impact within the stats, the, you know, like, like timely baskets, like uh, within a winning concept, like all of those different things are, are where, what separates, you know, cause you, you're going to find lots of guys in the league that average around 25 points a game. You know what I mean? That's, that's where you sure. see that difference. Uh, but moving, moving on to THT, I've been infuriated with his offense. That goes without saying I, he, <laughs> he, he's, he's just, he's, and I say infuriated, I understand it. Like to me, it's just young basketball player. Like that's, it's just, mm-hmm. uh, it's just, he's entered the phase of the young basketball player slump where he's just not even seeing the floor. Like he's making, he's making reads off of what's happening two inches in front of his face. Not kind of seeing like, like I said earlier, like seeing the forest for the trees, like understanding the dynamic of the five man offense. Like you could tell right now he's in such a jump shooting slump that he's just taking every jump shot. He can see the rim on. Like there was one there in, at, at the, towards the end of the game where he just uh, jacked up a three in transition and caused Frank to call timeout. Um, there was one, in, there was one in the first half where it was a catch and shoot. He was kind of open, but it was early in the shot clock. And you're kind of thinking like, mm, you know, you maybe work for something better first, get yourself going at the rim before you, you know, there are little things like that, that he has to, to work out and they're going to somewhat handicap our offense in the meantime. However, uh, after being kind of reckless and undisciplined against the Clippers with a lot of. Uh, reaching in and fouling and getting out of position. I thought tonight was one of his best defensive games as a Lakers. And, and his defensive ceiling is so much higher than everyone else in the rotation that he kind of presents an interesting ceiling raising kind of uh, option here. Because, because if he does rein it in offensively enough by the end of the season, and he's going to get a lot of reps. So I hope, one of the biggest reasons why I hope LeBron and AD stay healthy all season is that THT's role can stay more consistent. This is something I complained about a lot with him early on, you know, just about every one of his first, you know, five, six games when he came back involved like really, really strange uh, uh, changing circumstances. Like he'd be in, in, the, in the starting lineup, out of the starting lineup with Russ with, or, you know, with LeBron, without LeBron, it was just kind of like really, really inconsistent. If he can get to the point where he, uh, even if he's starting, which I don't like the idea of him starting, if, if he can just get into that role, get that same uh, kind of minute structure for the rest of the season and LeBron and AD stay healthy, he's going to find an offensive role. And when he does, that will make him a, a, a huge plus. Because right now you could argue he's still a plus because of what he's bringing defensively. And to me, that's, that's just exciting. I love the way you put it with THC because you always say he has one all-star play a game, right? Pretty much one all-star play a game. I thought he had like three or four tonight. 
Um, he had one play where I think Dennis Schroeder tried to attack him, and like Dennis did like a move, got a little bit of space, and THD just blocked it straight up, like blocks Dennis Schroeder's jumper. And then on Tatum as well, there were a few plays where Tatum came around the screen. He gave him back pressure, gave enough time. I think it was Dwight Howard who was the big to get back to his man. He got back in front and uh, made Tatum kick it out. Like those are plays. Again, Tatum's a superstar, Paul George superstar. You're never going to stop them. But I thought his defense, just isolation defense, was really good. I thought we overhelped at times as well where um, where THC kind of had him in control and, and Ellington or someone else would help one pass away. And you're right. These are all going to be growing pains that you have to live with to get the result you want in about four or five months, right? Like that's where you're looking for. Can he produce at the playoff level? And his offense doesn't have to be superstar level, right? It doesn't have to be star level shot crane ability. It just has to be enough because I think his defense is already to the point now where he can you can throw him on a, a good wing for like 15, 20 minutes a game and not get killed. And I thought that was huge. I thought being able to throw him out there I'm not sure if he'll stay in the starting lineup when we're all healthy, but I think he needs to play. And you saw at the end of the game there, people were killing him. You talked about that three. I thought that was him uh, just being happy to have the ball in his hands. Right? <laughs> just to, happy to be the guy at the top of the key that has it, that can play around with it. But I thought his cutting was so much better tonight. Did you see that as well? Jason, like I thought he Everyone cut game. better tonight. The, yeah, cutting, like, the cutting and interior passing was amazing, but THT was also good. Yeah, and I thought he really picked his spots. And he had, again, those all-star type of plays where – he cut, catches it, gather, like double, reverse, layup on the other side, and it, and it floats nicely into the basket. Like those are the star type of plays that I see. Like he has these cra- – it's, it's weird because he'll have the crazy super finishes on the wrong side with the right hand. He used to use his left hand, obviously, so he finishes with the right hand. But he'll miss like the easy layup where he drives right by someone. So that's the stuff he has to work on. But I think there's stuff there to work on. And, and the, the talk for the last few days obviously has been the – you know, the Indiana Pacers are kind of open to trading Miles Turner and Sabonis. And I think the best trades are the one where both teams hate it because I've seen the Indiana Pacers feel <laughs> just the Pacer fans feel disrespected by. It. But like this is like the type of talent I think that he has. And we have a 21 year old. You talked about it. These are young basketball players. Like he hasn't he hasn't been in situations a million times to know what to do on every single read. You're right. He's driving in when they're closing out short. That's just stuff to me you have to live with because I think you're right. His defense is too good. Like it's they need it on this team. And I thought you saw some of those runs. Uh, the 2019 would go, 2019 team would go on these defensive runs. And I thought we kind of saw some of that tonight where it was like THD, Braun, and AD. And even Russ engaged. It's just a bunch of length, a bunch of athleticism on the floor. So I thought it was a nice game. I thought tonight was his best game, even if it wasn't his best offensive game. I thought this was the best game he had in terms of like impacting the game in terms of win or loss. Yeah, it was uh, I, it was a really good game from him, which is ironic after you know kind of the way he started the the game offensively. It's interesting with young players because you know there's two different kinds of young player development patterns, and they tend to be different for guards than they are for bigs. So like for bigs, for instance, it's usually about them adding stuff, right? Like okay, DeAndre Ayton comes back shooting threes, or you know the, the Dwight Howard comes back taking more left-handed hooks off the glass. Like they add things to their bag, but with guards in particular, it's more about cutting out the bad. Almost every guard when they come into the league has a really good handle and, you know, a reasonably good jump shot. And those things will improve over the years and years in the league. And, but for the most part, their improvement is kind of like trimming the fat. It's trimming poor shot selection. It's trimming poor decision-making. It's trimming turnovers. It's, it's trimming defensive lapses. It's taking the, you know, it's, it's the different, you know, like we look at THT's offensive season, we have these three games at the beginning where he was amazing. Right. And he averaged 20 something. And then he's been horrible since for the most part offensively. But the truth is, is like over the course of a season for a young player, it's kind of what it looks like. Usually not all stacked up in a row, but usually it's like, dang, he had 25 tonight. And then he had four the next night. And then you know, then he had 17 and then he had six and then he had 27, you know, it's like, that's kind of a young player experience. And then what happens is, is with those guards, as they get better and they learn how to replicate their success into, into, you know, trim the things that led to their failure, it becomes more replicable. And now you're seeing, you know, 27, 25, 23, and then a seven point night, you know, like it just happens more frequently as they trim the fat out. So that's, what's kind of cool as we're watching THT develop, it's going to be a lot more of just trimming out the bad stuff, you know, which will be uh, interesting to, to watch. He is one of, 
you know, this is, he's one of the few defenders on our team that actively makes offensive players feel uncomfortable. This is a concept that I talk about a lot on this show because there's such a huge, this is a, this is a shortcoming of analytics. For instance, you know, if I'm, you know, if Raj is guarding me and I shoot a three and he sticks his hand up as I'm shooting, that's going to register as a contested shot. But if THT is guarding me, no offense to you, Raj, you got great physical tools. I'm just saying <laughs> THT is at another level, but if THT is guarding me and he's really pressed up on me and he's disrupting my handle as I'm going and I elevate into the shot and he's like up in me, uh, like with his, with his hand, like up in between my hands in the face, that, that is actually making me feel uncomfortable as a shooter. That is a huge, that is going to also register as a contested shot. But the reality is, is that THT contest has a much bigger chance of making me miss than the, than, than the Raj contest. You know what I mean? And, you know, that, that's kind of like, it's kind of like with, it's, it's kind of like with Jason Tatum, you know, tonight, you know, when mm-hmm. some, the, the, the couple of the threes he made there at the beginning of the game were, they were contested, but was he comfortable? Because he certainly looked comfortable. You know what I mean? And then over the course of the game, we did a better job of kind of tightening that up. And he had to get more of his stuff at the rim after multiple counter moves. And we took away some of his easier shots. But the point is, is like, there's just a huge difference between that. Wayne Ellington this season, you know, like most of the Lakers has contested some shots tonight. I saw Wayne Ellington actively making dudes uncomfortable, really kicking that to another gear. To where it's not I'm sticking a hand up on the shot. It's no, I'm selling out to make this dude feel uncomfortable on the contest. It's something we've seen from Austin Reeves all season long. You know, in that Suns game, like second game of the season or whatever, literally you saw, you know, Laker defender after Laker defender after Laker defender kind of throw up, you know, feeble little contests on Chris Paul. And then you saw Austin Reeves get in there and really, really sell out to try to make him feel uncomfortable. And he started missing. You know what I mean? That's the difference. That's the next level. And that, that, that's that kind of defensive momentum. I'd like to see this team build. There are guys like THT that just with their physical tools can do it whenever they want, but you're going to see some more of that become part of our defensive culture. But again, I, I like THT because if you have him in any lineup, he's an actually disruptive defender. A guy, a guy who, you know, isolating him is kind of a fool's errand. There are just much better options. And so that kind of is exciting. I want to eventually, I want to hear your response, but I want to eventually talk more about the trade ideas that center around him, because a lot of that timeline that I'm discussing, a lot of that trimming of the fat directly relates to what his trade potential looks like. Because if he starts to trim the fat here in the next month, a little bit, and, and start to look like a functional member of our closing lineup, I don't think you can trade him because of, of, of his inevitable ceiling down the line. But, you know, there, if, if there is that fine line there where you have to weigh those two concepts against each other, the, the, the urgency of the window with THT's development. Yeah, for sure. And he's learning how to do winning habits, right, and championship habits. And that's stuff you don't get. On a bad team, he could easily be, we always talk about it, he could be on another team, get all the on-ball reps, get all the pick-and-roll reps, you know, average the 18-5 with, you know, all the turnovers, but, you know, it looks all flashy. But he's on a team with better ball handlers than he is. He's on a team where he's not the first, second, or even third option. So he has to learn how to play off ball. And I think that that works in his favor to become a winning player in that situation. And it's going to take time. Uh, Players like that, players like THC have had the ball in their hands their whole career, uh, their whole basketball career before they got to the league. That's just who he was. And that's the reason to me why he is more comfortable taking threes off the dribble, right? And you'll see him even when he's open, he'll like to dribble in or he's more comfortable coming off a screen and pulling up or on a pull-up jumper. His form looks even better. It looks more smooth that way. But he's trying to work into his spot-up shooting. I still think he has to be somewhat of a respectable spot-up shooter um, to play when it, when it really matters. But the defense already being this far ahead as it is, I think it's really huge, and it just shows his development. And again, the offense doesn't have to be great, but I thought tonight you saw semblances of what 
it can look right. You saw some other good process stuff. You saw him screening for LeBron and then slipping, and then you saw THC be able to attack like four on fives when Boston would trap, and it just plays into his strengths, right? He gets to go downhill. He got he had some finishes over Al Horford, I thought, tonight, which were really smooth. He has a finishing game there, and it's just stuff that it's all going to be growing pains. Like, he could easily, the next few games, not play well again, uh, <laughs> not finish at the rim. Like, it's just, it's going to be up and down, and it, there's, I mean, he's not the player that he was when he started. He's not a 20-point-a-game player, and he's not a player that couldn't hit a shot for the last few games. He's somewhere in between. We've seen him getting better. I thought, I thought tonight he was the most comfortable I've seen him, uh, and it's, he's just going to continue to get reps uh, next to Russ, next to LeBron, but I saw good process stuff, and I'd like to see uh, I'd like to see it more. I'd like to see him with some shooting around him, right? I think it's just tough when he – there was some plays tonight where it was like uh, Russ drives, and then he kicks it out to THT. THT drives, and then kicks it out to Avery Bradley, and then Avery Bradley. Like, there's just – it's just like it's – you know, it's just going nowhere. And I just like a little bit of spacing line. You talked about Ellington's defense, um, and I've seen that to me all year. Like, he's never going to be great, but I think he's solid enough. Like, I don't think he's going to kill you. Like, I feel like he's in the right place. He's not, you know, he's not going to be uh, ever quick enough to stay with guards or stuff like that. But I think he's just a solid guy um, that I'd like to for him to get more minutes. Uh, but we'll see. But, yeah, I thought THC was, again, good tonight. Defense was fantastic. His help defense is getting better. He had some steals in transition where, like, someone would try to cross left or right, and he'd just pick it right away one-on-one. I think he had, like, two steals um in transition like that and you, you're right his length is his length is a problem it, it's something that is bothering people it bothered paul george it definitely bothered jason tatum those dudes are still gonna get buckets they're superstars but he did his job and that's that's all you can ask and you could see that vogel really likes him it's why he continues to start even when his offense is this ugly and i think he's gonna stay in the starting lineup at least until uh ariza gets back here yeah, I agree. I, I would expect him to as well. I, I would. I, I wouldn't think it's completely out of the realm of possibility that he would continue to start <laughs> after yeah, Ariza comes back. Sure. But so so let's let's because this was something that popped across the timeline. I think I think it was today. Um, obviously, with the news that the Pacers were going to be potentially entering into a rebuild phase that they probably should have entered in a few years ago. Um, but the the let's obviously THC like we discussed if he can trim the fat. Um, Mm -hmm. and kind of find a functional offensive role on the team. He kind of fills the role of a forward because he's so strong. His center of gravity is so low. You can't really push him off of his spot in physical size mismatches. And he's got so much length that he can really, really bother you at the, uh, when you're trying to shoot over the top of him. So let's obviously accepting the fact that if he kind of develops into what the Lakers need him to be, he is the best option while also having the long-term ceiling and they should keep him. But let's pretend we're sitting in January, February, and the THT thing just isn't panning out. Still, you know, making mistakes off ball in the defense, complete liability jump shooting, um, you know, struggling with decision-making, blah, blah, blah. What did you think about the concept of flipping THT and Kendrick Nunn for, uh, for Miles Turner or Demonis Bonus? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Obviously, I don't watch the Pacers enough, but I mean, I follow, I mean, Kaylin Cooper is a, a person who goes with them and she thinks that trade is kind of crazy. And it would, to me, like you're getting an all-star back if you get Sabonis, right? I think Sabonis has made an all-star team. Uh, Miles Turner is a really good player. I'd worry about the fit, but I mean, uh, it's a tough question to me. Like, it's the same kind of conversation we had. Remember after the Knicks game, I think we talked about um, Jeremy Grant, right? Because yeah. of Jeremy Grant, I think rumors came up. And it's a similar kind of situation to that. If the team is rolling and you think that's the, you know, that's the way to go, then then maybe, you know, you go ahead and make that move. Uh, we'll see. I think Talon would have to show more to me for that to be the trade. I think there would be better, just in my opinion, I think there's better offers out there for um, the Pacers to go and get. And then with Miles Turner, I would be worried a, a little bit about the fit. I feel like a trading for another, you know, Miles Turner is a good shooter. He's shooting, I think, 39% from three. Like, he's a legit three-point shooter but i feel like that kind of you know handicaps you to kind of play big right because you're going to start 80 and miles it would kind of make 80 uh play the five even less i guess it would move him to the power forward and i to me the, the ceiling of this team is still braun and 80 at the four or five like i think that's your main ceiling and you build around that uh, but turner is an amazing player he's him and ad would be incredible as a defensive president but it's a it's a, it's a tough question to me because talent is really 
your only trade piece, right? Like once you move that, that's pretty much it. Like you don't have anything behind that. Um, if you move him and, and we'll see with Kendrick Nunn, who hasn't played a minute tonight. But I feel like that it's such a tough thing for me to say yes right now. We're like, what, two games over 500? We'll see how the season goes. Uh, but it's something definitely they're going to have to look at, though. But I just I don't have a decision right now. Like that's a really tough thing to to go through and just trade talent because I think there is enough there. Uh, it's not the ideal fit for him. He's obviously a guy who needs spacing and a guy probably where – you know his ceiling as a as a, if everything was in an ideal world he's the ball handler on your team who's making the decisions that's just not what it is right now um but i think there's something to build build around that that can be super useful for a championship team to have uh, to have a guy with young legs a guy with this type of potential i think is good to have on the team but i understand the other side too what, what about you? Would you what do you what did you think of those trades what do you think of the uh the uh fake trades that, that were coming out for uh turner and sabonis so again, the idea of whether or not we should trade THT is a separate topic of from who you trade him for. Okay. Sure. Like whether we should trade THT 100% has to do with, is the team trending in the direction that you think they have a legitimate chance to win the championship? And is THT not a big part of that? Because mm-hmm. if, because if the team is trending towards an obvious, like legitimate run at the title and THT is a big part of that because he's, defending extremely well in it and playing a role in our offense, then hell no, you don't trade them, you know, cause the, whatever you're getting back, you have to factor in what you're losing with THT. But if we are trending towards a clear run to the title and THT is struggling, that's when you have to make the philosophical decision, which is don't have one foot straddling either end of the line, because that's when you end up unsatisfied now and unsatisfied later. So yeah. once we've accepted that, let's for the sake of accepting you know, for the sake of argument, let's say we have decided to trade THT. Uh, what, what, you know, archetype of player should we be looking for? Now you have, we've discussed three completely different kinds, right? We have Jeremy Grant, the athletic slashing wing. Then we have Miles Turner, who's more of a, like kind of the modern form of a stretch rim protecting center who can shoot the three ball and is a great shot blocker. And then you have Demonis Sabonis, who's, you know, a low post scorer who has some capability to shoot from the perimeter, although this season he hasn't shot well from the perimeter. Um, But, you know, one of the things with Sabonis that I think is interesting is he kind of reminds me a little bit of Kevin Love in the sense that Kevin Love used to be a dominant post player as long as he had a clear physical advantage. You know, like if you could get him against skinny forwards, he would kill them. If you could get him on switches against guards, he would kill them. That was one of the things the Cavs used to always do when they play the Raptors is really spam, you know, pick and roll with, uh, uh, with LeBron and Kevin Love to try to get switches. And then they would go to Kevin Love in the post. But then whenever Kevin Love would face like a really big, strong, athletic power forward, which would inevitably what be, would, would be who the Cavs would face in late playoff rounds. Think like a Draymond Green or, you know, a, a, any of the Celtics forwards or, like a, you know, a Thaddeus Young or something like that, he would really struggle because he wouldn't have the, 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 the physical tools necessary to, to score. And I see that a lot with Sabonis when I watch him. You know, like when he, when he has mismatches, he's a dominant post scorer. But I've seen him get physically mauled defensively by bigger, stronger forwards that aren't easy to score on in the post. And so to me, Sabonis is like a massive cross-off, like it, clear non-fit, uh, not anywhere near a good enough floor spacer to make any sense. Not anywhere near to Dwight's probably a better defender than him right now. Like to, to me, the Sabonis is like, like don't even bring that up to me. That's a terrible, terrible, terrible basketball decision. Miles Turner and Jeremy Grant. Now we're talking philosophy here because Miles Turner, we got a rim space, you know, a, a, a guy who could protect the rim. So uh, basically the dream for Frank Vogel, but a guy who can space the floor. Right now, this is where it becomes like philosophically, what direction do we want the team to be going? And to me, this is a team that already has the two centers they need to play the style of basketball they need to play, which is lots and lots of shooting, lots and lots of foot speed and stagger AD and Dwight. That to me makes the most sense for what they can do on both ends of the floor. So adding Miles Turner into that mix really convolutes it because now 
you're either kicking Dwight out of the rotation, who's a solid backup center, or you're going back to playing huge. And now we're getting back into the situation where it's like, okay, can Miles Turner run up and down the floor consistently against teams that try to really get after us in transition? You know what I mean? That's where I am going to constantly point us back towards forwards, guys along the lines of Jeremy Grant. If we do decide to cash in the THT Nun contracts for a good piece, to me, it has to be for a wing. That is our clear, uh, our clear shortcoming on our roster. It's the main reason why a lot of our lineups don't make any sense, uh, or at least up to this point in the season. That, to me, philosophically needs to be the way we were looking. So what I was bothered, to be, bothered today when I saw the, the Turner, um, you know, Sabonis trade ideas getting bounced around, because to me it was like, whoa, 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 this should be a universal no from Laker fans. You know, this is this this is just it, I get the talent ad idea of it, but this is a like this is not a roster need for us. You know, we our issue is, is we have too many yards. And we have too many bigs. It's the last thing we need is another big. So I just just from a basketball philosophy standpoint, I didn't like either of those ideas. That's where I'm at, too. I, I mean, Jeremy Grant, I'm not sure if he's a better player than, you know, Turner and or Savannah's, but that's kind of that would be the ideal fit for me. And, you know, Jeremy Grant went to uh, went to Detroit. He wanted to be the guy there. Uh, I'm not sure if he's available or not, but that'd be the kind of ideal player to me. I was thinking about something because when I saw these trades, I thought about Stan Van, uh, Stan Van Gundy, who actually did the game tonight. But uh, when the Celtics were playing the Bucks in the playoff series, uh, I believe it was the playoff series with Kyrie. And uh, he was talking about the difference between Marcus Morris and, like, Al Horford, right, as three-point shooters. And I believe Al Horford had the better three-point percentage, right, but he doesn't put up the volume. So he was talking about when he, he would tell his, his players, like, if they were closing out, close out to Marcus Morris because he'll actually shoot every time he's open. You know, Al Horford kind of – he's kind of – he'll shoot if he's, like, wide open, but he doesn't shoot every time he's open. And that's kind of how I see the Miles Turner fit, Anthony Davis fit. Like, Miles Turner is a good three-point shooter, but he's, like – he doesn't put up the volume to be – defended as a three-point shooter to me and that's the way ad plays as well like i I feel like you still have the same issue of the paint pack but you know turner's a a great player if you can get him for tailing i think the fit issues are there but it's a talent lead like you would add talent it's a bonus i i see what you're saying with the fit but i think he's just a super good passer you know he's a really good he has really great feel for the game like i again he had one all-star appearance but uh, i i think he's like a really it's another just you're adding just stacking talent on talent the fit isn't great but i think him and ad would be a force offensively we'll have to see defensively he's not great at switching and all that but i I think that's still a huge just talent upgrade if you're able to get that but again i have no clue how the pacers feel about tht and 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 vice versa but yeah that's it's a very interesting conversation i think those won't be the last two that we talk about this as the season goes on more teams will kind of fade into the uh let's rebuild and, and uh, sell our parts kind of uh, part of the season. And you'll see that continue. Um, I think Talon is available, not even to be available to be traded until December 15th anyway. Uh, but yeah, you'll see more of this come up, but Sabonis and Turner are definitely interesting, uh, interesting guys to look at. Cause those are definitely huge talent upgrades and the fit uh, is still a little bit questionable too. Well, the, pr- the problem is, is when we drop a four over, we were screwed. You yeah. know, like we, like when you found out LeBron had COVID, you're literally sitting on your couch as a Laker fan thinking like, oh no, <laughs> like we, we can't even field a basketball team here. Like we're going to have to do super janky stuff, like play two bigs all the time and, and just, and just hope that we could score enough points and, and defend well enough to, to, to stay competitive in these games. It's because we just don't have that kind of player on the roster. We literally don't. Like I, like I've said a lot, Carmelo Anthony is six foot eight. But he is not a he is not a wing. He's basically he's a lot more of like a Wayne Ellington who happens to be tall than he is a you know like a Jeremy Grant. You know what I mean? Like he is not a guy who he does not fulfill the defensive responsibilities of a wing. So because he doesn't fulfill the defensive responsibilities of a wing, he can't be considered one. Tht, for instance, even though he's only six foot four he can fulfill the defensive responsibilities of a wing. That's what kind of makes him so valuable. And that's why if he does trend towards becoming a functional part of our offense, you have to keep him because now he kind of fulfills that role in the immediate future with all the all-star potential down the line. But right now we're just thin at that position. 
Now, maybe Ariza comes back and, and everyone stays healthy and you're looking at it like, bam, we've got three guys who can fulfill that job of that mobile, versatile wing with LeBron, with Trevor Ariza, and with, and with THT. And maybe it all works out. But the problem is, is one of those guys is 21, just turned 21 years old and is completely, you know, you know like in the, in the midst of a massive you know, young basketball player, offensive slump. The other guy just had ankle surgery and the third guy is 37. So that's kind of our issue right now, right? Is in theory, like, and this is what Rob would probably tell you if you were picking his brain, like, Hey, you know, do you have any regrets about the summer? Like <laughs> he'd probably, he'd probably tell you, like, I thought we'd have THT LeBron and Trevor Ariza on the wing. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. we've had, and we've lost LeBron for half the games. We lost THT for a third of the games and we've lost Ariza for all the games. And for half of the games that uh, THT's played, he's been unplayable um, because of his youthful mistakes. And LeBron hasn't really been engaged. That's, that's the reality of the situation, but that's why I keep looking towards that position group as the area of opportunity. If you get to the point where you got to make a trade, if you can turn the 21 year old, you know, versatile forward who is unplayable on some nights into a guy like Jeremy Grant, who is, you know, not an all-star, but in that tier right below all-star in terms of like really, really good NBA player, then I think you got to do it. You know what I mean? Um, but that, that's, that's, that's kind of the, 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 the way that I look at this is it's gotta be, you, you're going to know when the time comes, no one's making any trades right now, but when, when, you know, late January, early February comes, you're going to, you're going to have a, uh, a set of circumstances we're going to, you know, right now, what are we 13 and 12 or whatever it is that we are for mm-hmm. one, you know, at that point where, you know, we might be 25 and 15, you know, but, and, and then we could all be sitting here thinking, you know, THT is great. This is great. All we need to do is just continue this momentum. But all I'm saying is that if we get to that point and, and the opportunities there, don't hold your chips to your chest. You know what I mean? And yeah, THT is our only trade piece now. But let's say you did trade him for Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant is a trade piece. You know, at that, at that point, he would still have one year on his contract. And he'd be a really, really good wing who makes $20 million. And that, that makes him, a, a, you know, in that same class of the, you know, the Harrison Barneses of the league that, that, that everyone is always wanting to, to offer trades for at, at the trade deadline. You know what I mean? So, I, I, again, it's, it's, this is all pie in the sky stuff. We're, we're way down the line here. But. Uh, but it's just, I, I just wanted to bring it up because it was definitely something that was bouncing around with, with Laker fans earlier today. Oh yeah, for sure. It was a, it was a big topic. And uh, I don't know if you saw in the game today, I think like Tatum blew by Carmelo Anthony and Stan Van Gun- He's like, this is why you go out and get Trevor Ariza. And I was just thinking like, that's kind of unfair to Trevor Ariza, you know, 36 year old Trevor Ariza as the main stopper. But I'd like to see this team fully healthy, you know, before we just shuffle everything and, and move everyone out or, or fire someone as, as we've talked about uh, at, lanes, <laughs> at lanes here. Like, I'd like to see the team healthy. We got news that Kendrick Nunn uh, is probably not going to play until, until uh, January. Next, until, yeah. yeah, until January. Trevor Reza is practicing with the team, though. Like, that's good news. So he should be maybe a week, maybe a week out. We'll see how they want to ramp him up. But I just like seeing this team healthy. We just got DeAndre Jordan kicked out of the rotation like two or three games ago. You know, and like we just and tonight was the first time we got 80 at the five starting since yeah, the last set, the lineups made sense, dude. It's we're moving on up. <laughs> exactly. I'd like to see it. You know, I'd like to see the team get a chance healthy before we break everything up. 80 started the five for the first time tonight since that Boston game. Uh, after that Boston game, I believe DJ started or Dwight How- Howard started after every single one. And the next few games here are all winnable. We play Memphis without, I believe, John Morant. Um, then they play OKC. The Orlando Magic, the Mavericks, who haven't been playing well, the Timberwolves, who, you know, that's a winnable game. And then you play Chicago. But the next five games are all winnable. But this team has lost the benefit of the doubt, obviously, um, in, in that regard. But those these games are winnable here. You can, If you're sitting at, you know, 18 and 13 after these games, like that's a good start to the season at, after what happened. So I, I just want to see the team at least get a chance because I think they are uh, building up here. I think Russell Westbrook has gotten in an absolute groove. And I have 80... AD can join him. We're starting to get LeBron healthy. This is his second straight game. He hasn't played four straight games yet this season. Like, there's stuff I want to see before we just, you know, uh, throw everything everything in the trade machine. Uh, but, but yeah, it seems like it's trending up here, and hopefully people get healthy. Kendrick Nunn, again, in January, but Trevor Reese is practicing. Like, I'd like to see him play. Austin Reeves didn't even play tonight until garbage time. 
we'll see if he's in and out of the rotation. But yeah, man, uh, hopefully this is a trend upwards because I think I saw a lot of good process stuff tonight. I loved how we used Wayne Ellington in the second half next to LeBron. Malik Monk continues to just be fantastic. Like there's things, there's little spots in here that have been growing as the team has been losing. Like the Malik Monk thing I think is real, right? We didn't even discuss him tonight. But like he's been playing well even as the team was losing. And then you see it when the team starts to roll, how much how much more that adds, how much his punch, uh, his just energy, his juice uh, gives to the team uh, when he comes in the game. So it's just some stuff that I'm seeing that's good process that I'd like to stick with uh, as, as we go forward here. Yeah, we're, we're not going to commit to any sort of sweeping declaration that things have changed. We've been hurt too many times. <laughs> this year. Learned I our lesson. I, yeah, I swear that stupid, uh, that uh, that road win over Sacramento after the game against Detroit where LeBron and AD were both so good. I was all in on this concept like, hey, this is happening now. And then they came out and literally looked horrible against against the Clippers. And everyone was horrible. LeBron was horrible. Anthony Davis was horrible. Like, Frank Vogel was 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 one arguably his worst game as a coach. Like it was just a just a really really bad uh, night there to just kind of remind us that that's the kind of the the kind of season that it was. It's always funny when I uh, you had mentioned that Russ has been really good. He has. He's been fantastic. It's always funny like when you listen to um, you know people outside of the Laker fan base, and I'm not judging them by any stretch of the imagination because you and I do the same thing. Like we're basketball fans, so guess what? Like. We're going to comment on Demonis Sabonis, even though we haven't watched him as much as Indiana Pacers fans have, you know, and, you know, sure. we're going to have a pot. We're going to have a pot on an off day. One of these days where we talk about the rest of the league and it's not, obviously we don't pay as close attention to them as, as Lakers, but I'm not going to sit here and tell people you're not allowed to talk about them. Um, but it's funny because I listened to Rosillo and Simmons today and you know, the, the Lakers came up and the very first thing that Bill Simmons started ranting about was uh, Russell Westbrook and the fit. And I'm just like, Oh, you haven't watched the Lakers. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, cause the, the, like the Lakers have a ton of problems and Russ just isn't one of them. You know what I mean? Like he, even the spacing stuff hasn't really reared its ugly head. I mean, tonight he had a stretch there in the beginning of the first quarter where he missed a couple wide open threes in a row, but it's like this season he's been shooting those pretty well. So, I mean, yeah, to the if you just turn on the game, you might sit there and go like, "Oh, look, they're ignoring Russ and he's hurting the team." But it's like we've been watching all season and he's made enough of those to where it hasn't been a problem. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna start, uh, get get too uh, amped up or excited about anything until until they really rip something uh, a good long streak off. I mean, to give you an idea, one of my big philosophies coming into the season if you remember, was the idea that when LeBron and AD play, the Lakers win about 78% of their games. That was the case for the first two seasons of the LeBron and AD era. And tonight was just the 12th game this season that both LeBron and AD have played, and they went seven and five, or they went seven and five in those 12 games. So what that means is the Lakers would have to win 10 more in a row right now uh, in order to get to that you know, 78% win percentage that they had in the previous seasons, which by the way, they're very capable of. I mean, their schedule is so tough the rest of the season that it's far more likely that if they do pull that off, it's more of like a, we went, you know, 25 and four over a 29 game stretch rather than actually ripping off like a 17, 18 game win streak. Cause if the Lakers were going to do that, it would have been in the beginning of the season when they had the easy cupcake part of their schedule. But you know, the Lakers dug themselves a little bit of a hole because they went 500 against their cupcake schedule. And, and now they're and now they're heading into, yeah, like you said, there's some winnable games here on the horizon, but they're they're heading into a, a, a pretty tough end of their uh, end of their schedule. But the truth is, is the Lakers can go on a run and they can kind of reestablish that same formula that uh, that carried them in previous years. It's all possible. Um, but, you know, like we said, we're not going to sit there and, and, and pretend like we know for sure it's going to happen because this team has just proven to us too many times that that's not really what they're made of, at least to this point that obviously can change. Uh, mm. Did you have anything else you wanted to touch on tonight? Uh, yeah, just uh, last, last few things. Uh, Russ's numbers, the last like six games, I'm just looking at maybe we can quibble about the numbers and how much they matter and how much, you know, they're impacted winning, but 29, 10 and 11, 25, six and nine, 23, five and six. Um, he had the one stinker against the Clippers where it was 20, 10 points, but again, tonight, 24, 11 and three, like he's been there and it's not that he's not a problem or whatever. Like there's things you have to do to acquiesce to Russ. I, I've been on that mm-hmm. since the beginning of the season. This season to me was about fitting Russ around a title core and we just haven't had LeBron play enough 
Um, AD's been uh, AD has played well. The numbers uh, the numbers have been really good. I still feel like there's games where he waxes and wanes his effort. But I think Russ is a weapon that you have to deploy in a correct way. And I think we're kind of seeing uh, that process uh, start to work. I think Vogel's starting to figure out. Uh, I think the AD at the five stuff is extremely key for Russ, even when it's non shooters. The spacing of the floor just makes more sense for him and i think we're starting to see that pay off and the last thing carmelo anthony tonight 21 minutes i think that's where his minute load should be i thought you you saw him kind of pop off the screen a little bit more he can pick his spots a little bit better that's just a spot up guy or a post up guy it's like 10 minutes a half instead like i was looking he played 43 minutes against the king six games ago like if carmelo anthony's playing 43 minutes for your team you're not a good basketball team. And that kind of goes into the that kind of goes into the forward issue that we have and all that. But I thought tonight it just it looks so much better when he can just pick his spots as a scorer for ten minutes a game and the defense is never gonna be great. He's gonna get picked on a few times. I thought he's in the right spots and all that. But I thought like we're seeing kind of the evolution of the team of what it will be when uh when everything is kind of finalized. And I think Carmelo at like 16 to 20 minutes a game is part of that and i thought he uh it was another good game for him he didn't make a three tonight but four for 11 i thought his offense was was fine i thought he fit into the scheme of what we want to do so those are the last few things good win man uh, a lot of positives i know from us tonight but i thought i think that's important i think it was a finally a fun one for us and everyone else to enjoy here yeah so you actually just reminded me of one last thing that we'll touch on and then we'll call it a night uh, did you happen to see Anthony Irwin's like uh, like lineup rules thing that he sent out a couple days ago? Lineup rules? No, I didn't see that. So it was kind of an interesting concept. I wanted to make sure Anthony got credit for it because this is, I mean, these are kind of ideas that I think all of us have had. Uh, but sure. it's just like a, like if, if Frank could just, and he followed most of these rules tonight, not all of them, but most of these rules, but the, <laughs> this, uh, you know, basically the idea was, uh, you know, just a couple checklist items that if the lineups fit into these rules, then things would make a lot more sense. And the ideas were like, Hey, like if you're going to play two bigs, can't be with Russ. Right. So never, ever, ever start a center alongside AD because you should never, ever have the impact of Russ's spacing and the impact of a traditional center spacing. Right. So mm-hmm. like if you're going to play an AD Dwight lineup, it should be, you know, with either three shooters or with LeBron and two shooters or something along, uh, something along those lines where, uh, you know, not only can you functionally run a defense by having those two big guys in the background of uh, background to kind of cover for other guys mistakes, but it just, there's a lot more space to operate. And then the other rules were like stagger THT and Russ, which obviously if THT is going to play big minutes, you can't fully stagger them, but yeah, I would stagger THT and Russ. I don't, it's one of the big reasons why I don't like starting THT. It's the idea that our best opportunity to um, our best opportunity to set THT up for success with his rhythm is to kind of do what what I've always talked about. Like you let him come in off the bench and come in gunning and being aggressive offensively, rather than putting him alongside a bunch of guys who are going to shoot every time they touch the ball, where he kind of struggles figuring out where he's going to fit. You get you get a diminishing return on the the THT thing in that regard. I like THT staggered with Russ. There will be some overlap, but, uh, and then the, and then the last one was play our shooters. So essentially we have, we have three dead eye shooters and Wayne Ellington, Carmelo Anthony and Malik Monk. In my opinion, uh, with exception of the starters, we should have, we should try to have two of those guys on the court as much as possible, but we should never, we should never have fewer than one of those guys on the court because of, you know, just foundationally, it's easier to play in, in poor spacing if it's like a four-on-four four construct than if it's a five-on-five five construct. So even if the rest of the lineup doesn't have great spacing, if that's Wayne Ellington in the corner and the guy's glued to him, then even your janky spacing will work better in, a four, in that four-on-four four construct off of Ellington, if that makes sense. So not to mention you can use him as a screener and do all those kinds of things. But shout-out to Anthony. I thought it was an interesting concept. Just, again, three basic rules. Play a shooter, stagger THC and Russ never play Russ with a traditional center uh, and AD, obviously uh, too big lineup, I should, I should say, but it was an interesting concept because those, those are really, really basic basketball rules that you'd think that, that every you know coach should be able to kind of put together. But for whatever reason, it's been something that, that uh, was a slow development for Frank this year. Yeah. And Frank definitely leans into defense. I think LeBron even talked about that as well. When I think he was asked about the starting lineup and he said, our coach is going to lean heavily um, onto the defensive end. 
but I thought, you know, just you going through those rules. We went, we went with a lot of those tonight, actually. Like I saw a lot of that um, tonight. Russ was the first sub, I believe. And it was Malik Monk who came in mm-hmm. uh, and you had the shooter in there. Um, and uh, I think Russ and LeBron were staggered tonight. I don't think there was any point where one of them wasn't on the floor. So yeah. it was never, it was never THD by himself or it was never AD without one of those two. Um, so I thought, like, you know, the staggering is getting better. Dwight Howard was the backup center, and I thought he played well. And he was on the floor to me when it was Russ with uh, no other big. So it wasn't – Russ didn't play next to AD and Dwight at all tonight. I don't – at least from my memory, I don't think they played that played that way. So there's stuff that's going up, but the, those rules <laughs> those rules make sense. Um, I think we're getting closer and closer to that. And, again, I think Ariza is, like, the perfect middle ground for that, I guess, where he can face the floor and – be the defender that uh Vogel wants um, mm-hmm. yeah hopefully we're we're getting closer to that but yeah those are those are funny those those are pretty true true rules to, i guess to follow by all right everybody thank you so much for coming to hang out on a tuesday this will be on dash radio tomorrow morning at 7 a.m pacific standard time um this will also be on our podcast feed here in about 30 minutes we sincerely appreciate all of you guys for your support we will be back on thursday night um i think that one's on the road at memphis correct if i remember correctly um friday yeah. night friday night the okc game i have a christmas party so i will be leaving you to ride solo for that one if you're available um but uh we will be back on thursday we will talk more about a plan for friday later but again we appreciate your support and we'll see you guys in a couple of days thanks everyone